It's just too much. I think she's a very nice girl. And they just made me employee of the month yesterday, so I'm getting a lot of calls. I know where I'm not wanted, and I'm not wanted any place where people have all these social obligations if you get one of me. That's not true. You have you have two kinds of stuffing. You have real cranberry sauce. Run! I mean, I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here or what I'm doing here or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself. And I'm very intrigued, and oh my, this soup's delicious, isn't it? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast where we are officially kicking off our discussion of NBC's musical theater disaster masterpiece, Smash. I'm Colin and I came for the scarves, but I stayed for the belts. Oh my gosh, my name is Nick and I... Line? <laughs> I don't have an... <laughs> I don't have a clever intro line, oh, but I no. I love that I don't. This is your show. This is your this, if, if oh, anyone. Oh my gosh! Just call me Karen Cartwright at callbacks. You know, unbelievable. I'm just wearing that cherry dress. Yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe come dressed as Marilyn. You know, I. Oh God. But I love the idea of a disaster piece. I think we're really creating a new, uh, you know, sub genre of television and and media here. I love that we're going to spend basically the rest of 2022 on this disaster masterpiece, disaster piece of season one of Smash, because it is like 15 episodes. Um, and I that almost sounds passive aggressive because I actually am really excited about this. I We say this all the time where I'm like, oh, God, I'm so excited to record this week. But especially given the tragic loss last week of our first cha- attempt at recording this episode, I have been just waiting by the phone to record this again. Uh, this is, you know, pun intended, and music to my ears. I, I'm so glad we're here. I, I, and I think that's like, really, it truly sums up Smash for anyone because it is a show that it's not like, like you said, you weren't not looking forward to record, but once you really start to fall in love with this show and really understand that it is at its core kind of a really great show but also there's so many other flaws within that and like levels of camp that just make this perfect disaster piece like you were saying of a tv show it's i it it's just i mean to kick things off because i was gonna say i was really realizing i was gonna speak out of turn because i really don't know what to expect i think maybe at your behest years ago i did watch maybe the first like six episodes Mm -hmm. and you know and then you know uh you know to quote kate beckinsale in pearl harbor then all this happened and (laughs) you know uh (laughs) then the last like couple years happened and i really forgot all about the first six episodes of smash but otherwise like there are episodes of this that i will be watching for the first time for this podcast, and I don't even know. I have chills. Yeah. I think that's one of the greatest joys of my life. It was watching, it's like watching Keon watch this show. It was very early into our relationship when we were sort of just like exchanging like favorite movies and like, but a TV show was like a big commitment, you know, but I, I kind of pushed for it and it was only two seasons. And like, once you're in, you're in, like you really can't stop thinking about it. Um, and I, for specific episodes, I just remember, I wish I could have like recorded his reactions because it is, 
it's wild. It is truly wild and beautiful and like really well done and like such a great production value, but also a train wreck, especially yeah. season one. Uh, now, so obviously I am, you know, I'm I'm a newbie at all of this. I'm I'm pretty light, as they say about Karen. I'm pretty Ooh, light. You wow, know. you're really getting all the. Oh, I love this. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I rewatched today, and I was like, no, I I it's my fault. We have to redo this, and I'm gonna show up correct. And so, that's right. Uh, that being said, did you like? Did you like watch this when it came out? Like when? What? How? How did you and Smash meet? Yeah, I think. It's probably foggy, but I know I was living in New York at the time, which is e- it's made even better because, right. you know, struggling actor, you know, this is such a great... I remember I was excited for this show, and I was living with Amanda, Amanda Kaczynski, who I'm sure is listening right now, and it, I don't think we, like, sat down for the very first night of this, but somehow people started talking about it, and then we were on... They were on board and we started watching. And in conjunction with that was this amazing, I didn't even look this up from last week either, but I will. But I don't think they exist anymore. This guy did amazing recaps of the show and it was just in a script form. It was not like, it wasn't even like a review. He would rewrite the entire episode in script form and like Dublin zoetrope levels of snark and wit. And it was so, and we would like wake up like so early in the morning to like to to see if he posted his mm-hmm. newest like review and I I have to look him up to give him a shout out but we just fell in love with it and I and it was two seasons long and we were so excited when it got renewed for a second season um but yeah and I I own the DVDs um it's pretty I, big it's one of the yeah one of the few D- DVDs that I've caught uh, or that I've uh, what am I trying to say that I've held on to over the years and Ugh, it's just such a fun show to talk about and like really one of my first like hate watches, but also like a love watch, a love hate watch. There we go. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll say like by the third time I watched the episode there, w- it had settled in of like, I I don't know, like I embraced it in a new way. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm I'm in all of a sudden like where did the scarf come from? You know, like I just I, yes. I was Julia Houston and I. I think there there is something really special about a show that can maintain this balance of being a train wreck that is still in other ways capably made. And so the train stays on the tracks while it's a wreck, you know? Yeah, I remember w- the previews for it. I remember like it was like from executive producer Steven Spielberg and mm-hmm. then Angelica Houston walking down the hall at the very end, like, uh-huh. you know, right before callbacks. And, you know, Angelica's in it and Deborah Messing and, you know, a lot of Broadway talents that, you know, if you are in the world, were super excited to see. Like even Leslie Odom Jr. shows up and, you know, Megan Hilty and Christian Borrell and all these like great names from the theater. It was just like yes, finally someone is writing about this process, which Mm -hmm. seemed super fascinating and still is, but like, it's such a high, it's like this melodramatic craziness as well too. And I I love, I love picking it apart as much as I just, but I also, as much as I love picking it apart, I I genuinely do like the show. Yeah. I mean, I I think that about, you know, it's like, I, I love Drag Race, but I love picking it apart, but I also feel like I, at the end of the day would say like, no drag race is a genuinely great show that yeah. isn't actually a disaster. Um, I, you know, I, you know what I actually, it just came to me. It reminds me of, and just like that, 
which yes, you know, you, you infamously sat out of that uh, <laughs> cultural tidal wave. And just like, what? And yeah. just like, what? <laughs> Soak what up? Yeah. And just like, why? <laughs> yeah. And just like, comma, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> And just like whatever, and yeah. so, um, I, I, but it was a similar thing where it was like, well, I mean, all the pieces are there, but God, this thing is just insane. And so, uh, all of this to say that of all the reasons why we need to do an episode up by episode discussion of season one, which, to my understanding, is really the the crown jewel, because of my understanding, is season two gets a little self aware of the of the nuances that make it special and like the moment camp knows it's campy it's not campy anymore you know that's true yeah it, it is the season two is better as well and they they take it in sort of a totally different direction i th- i but i i like it i mean okay again i i love this show so i can i'm never gonna turn it down well who knows sometime in the future we'll you know. uh well uh if you're listening to this right now on the main feed, uh, that's because we are releasing this first episode for, you know, everybody's curious ears on the main feed to join us going forward on Patreon at patreon.com slash BSA pod, where we will be putting out these episodes exclusively every week. We may put out a little preview for you on the main episode so you know what's going on. But, uh, you know, now's the time to, you know, uh, sign up on that little call sheet and uh, join us for... Uh, in a, a crazy 15 weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in addition to that, too, there's so many episodes that we've recorded, you know, that are just like conversations about whatever we feel like talking about. What we've been watching, there's some Real Housewives, there's uh, there's a, there's something for everyone on these episodes, too. So even, a, I mean, if you're... You should be a fan of Smash, let's be honest. If you haven't seen it, where can people watch Smash? Let's talk about that first, because I feel like if people want to join in, it's not on Netflix. No. But where was it again? That's a great Tubi, question. So you, Tubi, yeah. It's not on Tubi, I don't believe, as oh, well. Okay. I believe you can buy it on Amazon or Apple, or you could watch it for free with very limited commercials on the Roku channel. Uh, That's right. And I don't think you need like a login or anything. Like I have a Roku, but I feel like it's kind of like Pluto or Tubi or whatever, where you just like you have access because they play ads, you know. But yes, there were like three ad breaks and one of them was one 30 second ad. So it's totally not a big deal. Love that. So, yeah, yeah, I. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. I. Should we get into it? Do you have I, any other like opening thoughts before we start this journey? No, I think oh I have God. so many thoughts along the way that like uh, I am I am ready. I am I am galvanized and I am ready and uh, let's do this. Let's let's do it. So this is episode one of season one, and it's just called Pilot, which. Um, Come up with a title, will ya? Yeah. I, it's just, it, we, we said it last week when we recorded, but it should have just been called Smash. Why not? It's, right. It's fine. They say it in the episode, just call it Smash. Or Audition or something. I don't know. Right. Either way. Right. The first, yeah. uh, second episode's called Callbacks. Call the first episode Auditions. Yeah. yeah. So we open on Karen Cartwright, played by Catherine McPhee of American Idol fame, and she is singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, and I do have to say this because um, I remember that season. I think she lost to Taylor Hicks, who you know went on to play like Teen Angel in Greece on Broadway. Oh and, God! And he was a very, I he was like an older guy. He had gray hair, but he was like young. It was like this weird mm-hmm. thing. But he his voice was cool. It was like a rock and roll sort of. But and Catherine McPhee had this like 
turnaround moment, very much like Kelly Clarkson singing uh, uh, Natural Woman, I think it was, Mm -hmm. I think, um, in her first season or in season one of Idol, that she sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So it was like this huge like star making moment. And I remember like Simon said, like, you've just won the competition or you just, you know, whatever they say, some bullshit line. So it's very fitting that she sings this song. Um, what it? How do you feel about Catherine McPhee? What do you know about her even before this? Well, nothing, maybe. <laughs> uh, that yeah, close to nothing. I mean, I knew about the American Idol uh, of it all, but I, I never really got into it. So I just kind of knew she was one of the you know front runners of a season. But what I mostly know about her is because uh, is is that she is the current wife of David Foster, yeah. who is the ex husband of. Uh, pre, you know, ex Real Housewife of Beverly Hills, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, in remission from her Lyme's disease and not Munchausen's Lisa Rinna, uh, Yolanda Hadid. There we go. Yeah. I don't know Yolanda yet. Maybe I hope I hope to one day. She'll. I think she joins like season five. I think she joins with uh, Eileen. So okay, obviously course. overshadowed by Eileen Davidson. You know, no big deal. <laughs> of course, <laughs> so yes. hot, so cool. You know. <laughs> Well, speaking of so hot and so cool, back to Karen. Um, So a cell phone rings and we are immediately, you know, the whole first song is uh, Smash Loves a Dream Sequence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This alternate reality. Um, And we are back in the audition room where I can only assume the director answers her cell phone and just sort of cuts the audition short and waves her goodbye and Karen storms out and but before uh, Karen, you know, before we leave that first scene, we do see Ivy, Ivy Lynn, Ivy played Lynn. by Megan Hilty. Uh, her name is called, and she walks into the uh, <laughs> she walks into the audition room again. I don't know if anyone in this writing writers room even like has ever been to an audition ever. It's such a very small nuance, but. You don't carry your, you don't wear your coat into an audition room. It's like wearing your coat into like an interview almost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you hang your coat up on the rack or you put it, or you keep your bag outside. But like every audition you go to, you don't, you don't take, you only take your, your book with you of music and that's mm-hmm. it. You just walk in, put your book down and Ivy um, puts her, you know, she takes her coat off as well too. And she says, do you want the ballad or the uptempo? And smiles. Uh, well, now <laughs> that's also something. Sorry, go ahead. Go oh ahead. no, I was going to say. I mean, you are obviously, you know, you're no stranger to the audition room, uh, yeah. being being that you were the, you know, the lead in, in Carmen at one point. <laughs> uh, two questions: One, has a director ever answered their phone while you were auditioning? Uh, and two, is this what you say to the when you walk in? Do you go, oh, do you want the ballad or the uptempo first? Like, is oh this... my god, I sh- I should start. Yes, right? I should start saying that and see if they if you know, you know, you know what I mean. Right, right. Um, yeah, typically to answer the second question uh, first, it's like you you go in, and pretty much you just like hand your music down. You tell them, you tell the accompanist which song you're starting with, unless you're only singing one song, and then mm-hmm. in that case, you don't have to choose. And you go back into the center of the room, say your name sometimes, and then they say, "All right, Nicholas, what do you got for us?" Because uh, I go by Nicholas. When oh I'm my in the god! Room. Yeah, <laughs> Nicholas Lynn, Ivy's brother. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Nicholas Lynn, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's my new stage name. There we go. Uh, and then you just say, like, "I'm going to be singing this song and the title of the song," and then you say, "Hit it," and then you go. It, but so. And then they might ask for something else, but um, it's just it's just like so weird, and especially since there are a lot of Broadway actors on this show. I mean, not everyone right. probably has a hand in writing, but like I'm sure they're like, oh my god. Well, isn't um, even Megan Hilty a big Broadway actress? Couldn't yes. she be like, I have never worn my coat 
into an audition? Could we? Hey, Teresa, could we? Change we cross that? We cross that yeah. line out. What if I didn't have a coat on? You know. I know. Is I question on that? By the way, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is that's okay? Is, is Teresa Rebeck? I don't. Know, maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. Is, oh yes. Is she more? Is she? Is she a theater person, or like, do you know her? Is like, oh yeah, she's really involved in these shows, or is she more of a TV person? I feel like because what was the her? She had a like a really. I'm looking it up right now as we talk too, but like she had a very big success on Broadway. She wrote, um, right? Because I feel like I'm recognizing her name as like uh, having written something on Broadway as well, and it's like driving me nuts. Um, so yeah, I I know her name, and I feel I feel like she is in at least in the Broadway community known as a playwright. I remember her name being tossed around, and I know she's had like Broadway plays and is probably been nominated a couple times too. And I remember. Uh, people were really excited for her to write this show, but I feel like there were artistic differences and eventually she was kind of fired from the show for lack of a better term. And I don't know what part of season one that happened or it might've happened at the end of season one. Um, But I do know that the character of Julia is based on like roughly loosely, allegedly based off of her life, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Is, you know what? I'm, I'm just looking at her website. Didn't she, and maybe I'm remembering. She did she wrote a play called Seminar? That's about. Uh, Is it like a writer's thing or something? Yes, yes. It's um, four aspiring young novelists sign up for a private writing class with Leonard, international literary figure. Um, it's almost like Masterclass. That yeah, play, like Terrence McNally. That's play, yeah. that's what I'm thinking of as Masterclass yes. because it was Maria Callas and and yes. Tyne Daly was in it at one point. Yes, she so, played Maria Callas one time. God, we got to talk about Tyne Daly on both the Grey's Anatomy episode and the Smash episode. This Ugh. is the best day of my life. <laughs> I I don't know why I feel like there's a Teresa Rebeck play. I'm looking at a list of her stuff, but nothing is jumping out to me. So I don't know. I'll do some research on Teresa, but super exciting stuff. And to answer your question. Um, I've never had a cell phone or no one's ever been on a cell phone, but people have definitely been on their laptops and have not looked up at me at all during auditions. And it's just kind of, I don't know, par for the course. It's like, man, I sat in a room for three hours for 30 seconds of this. And which makes it even more funny that Karen is so upset about this because like you learn very quickly, you learn the ropes, you you know, like you have to trudge through all these auditions. And sometimes that's why it's great to get like an appointment. So like you have to send your like resume and headshot in and then they either say yes or no. So at least you know that they kind of want you, but with open calls like this, it's just like, you know, you're a dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. You're like guilty till proven innocent. Yeah. Yes. Uh, You know, I don't want to start the scarf count too quickly, but it's just worth mentioning. We don't have to officially count it. But both Ivy Lynn and Karen have scarves. Oh, my gosh. Well, a a perfect little segue here, because the first episode that we recorded, the last episode of Smash last week, we decided that we are going to count definitely Julia's scarves. I mean, if you want to start an unofficial scarf count, you can, because that's what Julia, played by Deborah Messing, um, is known for. It's It's her number one accessory. And I wanted to add to that. I wanted to up the ante and also count... How many drinks Angelica Houston throws in her hus- ex-husband uh, Jerry's face? Because there are <laughs> maybe not as many scarves, but I I'm just curious, so I'm yeah. excited for that. Yes, well, the the counter, at least the scarf counter, the Julia Houston scarf counter, can officially begin uh, as of this moment. We see her in her in her first scarf. 
Yes, we're in the kitchen uh, with Tom, Julia, and Ellis. Tom is played by Christian Borrell. Julia uh, is played by Deborah Messing, of course. And Ellis is played by Jamie Sepero, who, I mean, Ellis is... How much time do we have to talk about Ugh. Ellis? Because it is... It's the gift that keeps on giving, and he is—he's the ultimate hate watch. Is—is is this character specifically, not necessarily him as an actor, but it's incredible. Oh, I mean, that is the one thing I can remember from the Fever Dream, you know, six episodes, and, and certainly from watching this one a few times. Is like Ellis. Oh, I mean, the only thing that's good about him is that he made mac and cheese. That's—I'll give him that. He made mac and cheese. I mean the mac and cheese and the meatloaf. I know you're not you're not so much on the meatloaf train. No, I, I can't celebrate the meatloaf, but I I feel like Tom and I are in agreement about the mac and cheese because Tom didn't do meatloaf fingers. He did mac and cheese fingers. <laughs> That's right. The mac and cheese fingers. Mac and, cheese. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. <laughs> I remember, I was so happy that you when we because we talked about this in the, in the lost you know smash episode i was so happy you knew what i was talking about because it was like if i'm if i'm alone with these fingers you know like yes that's yeah, like what i, I would mean, best supporting fingers yeah, yeah that's what i would like rewatch for is tom's mac and cheese fingers and tom is great i think christian borrow is like definitely in that sort of stanley tucci colin firth like hall of fame of straight men who play gay men so well and i know this episode isn't maybe the best example of that i feel like he was coming in a little hot with a lot of these lines but i think he is an incredible actor his his scenes with um, megan hilty who we really didn't go into too much um are just great i love them two together i think he's great and i can't wait for for you to see more tom yeah, I I'm gonna need a little more more Borel until I really you know see the see the Christian side, but because you know he, <laughs> he he feels a little nerdy this episode. Like there's like if I'm being told that Christian Borel is considered like a sexy guy in broad on Broadway, I'm like okay. So <laughs> yeah, soak what up? Yeah, there soak we go. what up? Yeah, exactly. I'd um, say. He looks better with a beard, for oh, sure. Yeah. Because I saw him. He's a two-time Tony Award winner at this point, and what? I saw him in Something Rotten. He played Shakespeare on Broadway, and he's great. I, I, I he like beefed up for it, and I feel like, you know, from 2012 all the way up until now, there's been a glow up for sure. Oh, I should. That's a that is very smart. Is like, what does Christian Borel look like today? Mm-hmm. Um, You'd be pleasantly surprised. I better be because if not, okay, here we go. Christian Borel. Oh, oh, those, I hope those are old pictures. Um, <laughs> here we go. Sorry, Christian. Um, oh wait, here's one where he looks here. How Christian Borel got buffed to play the Bard in Something Rotten. He yes. looks very much like a like guys who look like Shakespeare. I have to be honest. Like I love guys who look like monkeys, but I like am not attracted to guys who look like Shakespeare. It's such a specific thing. It's fair enough. Yeah. If there's like an ostrich quality that I, I get stuck on, uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a me problem. Not to worry. Christian, if you're listening, uh, you probably don't care. Um, become a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that email notification? <laughs> Christian Borrell has become a Patreon. You have oh, a new message Lord. from Christian Borrell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'd have to up the up the scarf budget. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Oh my God. Um, but yeah. So Christian so, Borrell. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be Love a journey. Him. Yeah. 
and uh, Deborah Messing very much playing like uh, a Will and Grace or a Grace type to you know Christian Borle's Tom, uh-huh. but we like that. I th- I mean I think she fits right in. Um, she is wearing a scarf, of course, and Ellis is just like kind of flitting around the apartment. Um, of course, he's uh, Tom's new assistant. He's killing it, and. Uh, Tom and Julia, we learn, are writing partners. Tom composes. Julia does, like, uh, the book. We always, you know, take a drink. Like, the book needs work. It's, uh, the book. It, it happens a lot. Yeah, the book. Um, and Ellis, I think maybe Tom picked up the book, maybe. But, he, or he, like, they're cleaning up, and they're like, oh, I saw you were reading this Marilyn book. And he's, you know, Ellis goes on this little, you know, I th- you know, she's so great, blah, 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 blah. And he says, I think Marilyn would make a great musical. And... I didn't write any no more notes for that scene too, but like I feel like the the spark, you know, there's a spark there. I don't know if it's with Tom or Julia or both, from what I remember. So what? So he says, "Oh yeah, I feel like you know Marilyn would be a great musical," and they both say, "Oh, Marilyn's been done." You know, oh, that's oh, right. it's, oh it's been done. It's been you know it's been done to death. And and I had forgotten this on until I rewatched it recently. But it's actually a very cute little moment of Deborah Messing's where she says she talks about this new Marilyn app on the iPad. And she's like, yeah, you just, and she goes, woo, and she lifts up her skirt. And it's, like, very played down. Yes. That, like, I had, I almost, like, missed it the first two times I watched this. And mm-hmm. it's such a cute little moment. And I was like, Julia, you're so charming, like, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and so that, so they're kind of having this conversation of, like, oh, God, like, yeah, Marilyn has been done. But then I think... Uh, Tom is kind of excited by it. And, and the the key, the thing that like obviously then Frank mentions later is like, oh, we could do a baseball number. And that's kind of what gets the, the key to unlock in Julia's brain. Yes, that's the line of the episode uh, is like we could do a baseball number. Cause yeah. At least twice it comes up. Right. Um, so next uh, we are at the cafe where Karen works as a waitress and she pours her ever handsome fiance or boyfriend. I'm, I'm ashamed. I don't know this. I don't either. Actually. I feel like boyfriend. But okay, boyfriend <clears throat> for now. For now. Whoa. Yeah, if you play your cards right. Yeah. Yes, and Dev is played by the the ever handsome uh, Raza Jeffrey, who is just oh, such a supportive and handsome and loving, successful, uh, you know, man of everyone's dreams. <laughs> Oh, as Ina Garten would say, a depth of flavor. Oh my God, a dev of flavor. A dev of flavor. Oh, oh God. Yeah, um, I a cup of dev. Yeah. Yeah, please. I pour me a jug of dev. He is so hot. He is yeah. so hot, and so supportive. I know. It's just a perfect combination. Yeah. Um. And she has this conversation with him and how she's like, she says, I'm just not sexy. I'm the girl next door. And I think both of those se- both of those sentiments are true. I think there is, I understand where she's coming from, but Catherine McPhee, if you look at her, like she's, she's hot, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't think she's as girl next door as she thinks she is. It's all just like a matter of like who she, like as far, because there is this sort of sense of like, you know, eventually she's being considered for Marilyn and she doesn't she doesn't see the sexiness. And I feel like a lot of, uh, you know, both men and women, too, like, you don't you, it's hard to see yourself as something, especially when you're an actress or an actor. You know, you. Oh, my God. The game that everyone plays and like, what what type am I? And then uh-huh. everyone says around the room and I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but yeah. Anyway, what do, what do you think about this scene with the coffee? Oh, I mean, like. I yelp every time Karen says, why do I have to be sexy all the time? Why can't I just be fat? 
Like, it's just, it is so not even played as a joke. And I'm like, it's just so funny how, like, in a million years, even in a dumb CBS comedy, I don't think they're making jokes like that anymore. Yeah, that does not hold up. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, and then of course, yeah, Karen is, you know, we're, we're reminded, and so is she by the end of the scene of like, by the way, you're here working. You're not just like keeping the coffee company. So if you could get to work. <laughs> yeah, Karen. Oh, God. I, it, but it's it, it's such like, you know, I think she like, I feel like maybe I made this up, but like she sticks her finger in like whipped cream and Dev's cup or something and like takes a lick before she goes off. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. One of those things. Oh, um, God. It's... It's great. So next we are at Julia's house, her beautiful house, um, where we meet Frank, her husband, played by Brian Darcy James, Leo, the infamous Uh, Leo, played by Emery Cohen. Um, Talk to me about Leo and Frank, or maybe just one at a time. Well, you know, Frank is, you know, I know that he is a big Broadway actor. He's, you know. Yes. uh, He's he's playing the baker in Into the Woods right now. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Like, I feel like even, I don't know why when I'm like, oh, I know he was Shrek. I don't know why I knew he was. He, yeah, yeah, but indeed he was, but I'm sure he's been plenty of other things. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, I think it's interesting. There is something interesting, and obviously I don't know how this is going to evolve, but like to have like a musical theater actor in basically like a straight role, you know, like I don't know if Frank ever gets a moment, but I feel like he's just like, do, do, do they use all of his talents ever or is he always just like the husband in the kitchen uh it's a hard it's like i want to answer these questions okay. but I, I i feel in general to I, i'll i'll answer it because it's not really spoilery in any way but for those of you folks who who i mean i think i've listened to it all the way through twice at this point but it, there's a podcast called after smash where um and they're both two broadway uh you know they both are Broadway super fans. So at the end of every episode, they play clips of Brian Darcy James in musicals that he's been in just because he is so criminally unutilized <laughs> in this show. They just want everyone to like see and hear him because he's incredible. Like you said, he is, he's not one of Tony. He's been nominated a thousand times. He's just one of those guys. And, you know, it's great that he, I mean, he's been in some stuff though. He was in um, he was in Spotlight, that show that uh-huh. won Best Pic, or that show, that movie that won Best Picture. He was also in something very recently that I'm blanking on, um, that I was really excited to see him in. I'm gonna look him up as I talk about it, but yeah, he is. There's oh god, it's there is a moment, but it is it's not a moment. Okay, so we'll uh, you know, more to come on that. Oh, he was in West Side Story. He played Officer Krupke. Oh God! Of course, of course. So he's I, been working. Yeah, I, you know, he's he's great. He, he's not starving, but yeah. So so Brian Darcy James, uh, who until you see the both of them, there's no reason to confuse him with Brian Stokes Mitchell. But sometimes I do. Sure. Uh, but they they're very different. Uh, and uh, and then there's Leo. Leo is the the most fascinating character on television. I don't know if he's supposed to be eight or 68 or, or yeah. like, like, cause it's like, sometimes I think he's like their son. And then sometimes I think they originally had like Jerry Stiller from King of Queens. You know what I mean? Where like, he lived in the basement. <laughs> he's a ghost. Yeah, He's a ghost or he's a ghost. And he is so, I mean, I just can't wait until we get to that scene about the baby. That is like, I know it's, I don't know when it's coming, but like, I cannot wait. I am obsessed with Leo and 
his insane delivery, his insane line delivery. Yeah, he's kind of this like overgrown child who, again, it's like Leo should be played by like a very precocious five or six year old. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Some sort of like Broadway level child because it just doesn't work, especially, you know, and you watched enough to know that scene because when you say the baby, for those of you who haven't watched, um, Frank and Julia are looking to adopt looking to adopt end of sentence mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Leo is you know there's mixed emotions about it but also you know this ties into the next really what's going on in this scene is that Julia pitches Frank and Leo the idea of the Maryland musical and Frank kind of stops her and says well hold on now we're in the middle of this adoption like you said you weren't going to work for like I don't know was it a year or something and rightfully so it's a huge life decision and slash process as well and she's kind of choosing theater over this and it's um i'm on i'm team frank really yeah i'm team frank this is they don't need this uh she's trying to sell them in this on the idea of a marilyn monroe musical and then by the way she's wearing a scarf but we're not going to increase the scarf count because i think it's the same one from before okay um so you know counting appearances versus unique scarves i think is is important to distinguish but um at one point uh to try to make her point i don't know what she was hoping to get out of this interaction but julia says to leo hey leo when i say maryland what do you think of and he goes <gasps> baltimore baltimore maryland <laughs> Marilyn Manson? Doesn't he say that at one point? Maybe. Or maybe, maybe I just yeah. made that up. Maybe. I, I, that I would be, have been did. a better guess than, like, Leo is, like, 16. And so, like, it, I mean... The, yeah, there's no D there, There's no Leo. D there. Like, this, to me, seems like there might be some hearing loss because Leo is a senior citizen in a blonde wig. I. It is the strangest interaction Uh no, actually, it gets stranger later. This is just the strangest introduction. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great. Um, so we have this, like, very quick scene with Dev and Karen. They're, like, grocery shopping in the evening, and we learn that Karen's parents are coming, and she's nervous. I, I didn't write anything else beyond that. I don't know if you had anything to say about that. No, it's very okay. brief expository. I'm so nervous. They try to drag me back to Iowa. We find out she's from Iowa, you know, because if you're going to be, like, you know, the, the you know the new girl from the Midwest, you got to be really from the Midwest. You know, it can't yes. just be, like, Indiana. It's not going to be – yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, it yeah. can't be Indiana. Yeah. So uh, – Go ahead. Oh no, but yeah, then 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 we go back to Julia being the most annoying bedmate in the world. Ugh, this would never fly in my house. I was that. that's what I think of when I watch this. I'm like, oh, this would never happen with Nick and Keon. This would never no. happen. Put those AirPods in and turn yep. that that light all the way down on your uh, <laughs> on your on your phone. Keep your turning iPad. it down. <laughs> I know. I know. It. He doesn't know. I know. Um, but she's in bed watching a Maryland movie, just laughing, and you can see like the wheels turning. And I, you know what? I do understand this. Like, um, as like, you know, creating something like even you know, I guess the closest thing is like a podcast. When you get an idea of a podcast and you really think like you know those initial ideas of that creative process or whatever it happens to be are super exciting. So I get where I get why they're showing us this. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just like we just learned like two minutes ago that she's again the adoption. It's like you're choosing this over your potential future child. Um, but. That's it. That's that's what's happening. That's the theater, baby. I mean, you know. That's the biz. That's the biz. That's, you know, 
That's how you get to heaven on earth at the Schubert Theater, baby. There we go. Perfect segue. We see a marquee for heaven on earth at the Schubert. Tom is backstage just really kind of weaving in and out of these people. I just don't see a world where this would be happening. But I think I did mention this last time too so well well, let's let's so tom goes he's standing in the wings he says hi to ivy ivy says hi to him um she's just jumped off stage by the way she is literally finished her part of a dance number has and is is just into the wings and there's tom hey 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 ivy hey you know like oh yes unbelievable that's uh and i just feel like i know he's the composer of the show but i just feel like there should be some sort of protocol like Hey, it's, um, Tom, step back here. They're about to they're about they're about to come off stage. You know what I mean? Like, don't trip yeah. them because it's dark. You know, you never know what can happen. Yeah, to say nothing of the dancers trying to get on stage behind him. Like, you are fully in everyone's way, Tom. Yes, and you know, there's like a you know a bevy of beautiful gay men just like sort of flitting by I don't know what they're wearing, but I for some reason I just picture like a speedo and boots. <laughs> I think it was like little like gold lame pants and top sure. hats and like there no we go. shirts and one of them is is a uh a, a former flame of tom's and he goes oh hi tom as they're as they're going on stage <clears throat> and then tom's like oh hey and then the guy looks at me he's like dennis and then just like pot of berets into the stage onto the stage yes. like it's high just kick it high kicks away it is the gayest exit i have ever seen it's amazing and i will say there is a bit of this that I wouldn't say rings true, but like when you're in a show long enough, you kind of just go on the autopilot. So you can like fuck around a little bit backstage and you like, I'm sure all of these dancers, it's like clockwork. They could probably do it with their eyes closed. So he, I, you know, Dennis probably knew how many eight counts he had left before yeah. his entrance, but it's just perfectly timed. I, I love it. Ugh. So we're back in the dressing room with all the gals. I, Ivy just like staring in the mirror. She's, she realizes she didn't get the part and tries to tear her wig apart. And I will say this, wigs are expensive. Wigs are styled. And unless you're like going underwater every, every show, like typically you're not supposed to touch them. You put it on, you keep it on. And it's like, it costs money. So, and one of the girls is like, Ivy, you can get fined for that. And it's, you know, it's exactly what I was thinking. I was, it's like when someone drops a microphone, mm-hmm. it's just like, that's so expensive. What are you doing? God, especially like a wig. Like the whole point of it is that you just pop it on, pop it off. But like, she's just, ugh, it's I don't know. Front there. It's a, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It's just, you know, uh, she's pulling a Bianca Del Rio. She's coming into her own room and cutting up her own wigs <laughs> at night. Yeah. Yeah. packing. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. And, she, yeah. Is, yeah. She is. She is so devastated, and I. I love the the dramatics of telling Tom. I just want a part. I trained. I'm a trained. I just want a part. You know, like trails she can't, away. trails off. Yes. Trails off. It, now, is the conflict there that she doesn't want to call herself an actress because she's a like what? Why is she not finishing the sentence? Is the line just that bad? <laughs> I mean, I think. I get where she's going with this too. Like as much as she sounds like a, just like a whiner during this moment, like it's like, it's also read the room Ivy because you're all in the ensemble. Like you're no better than anyone else. Like everyone there is probably insanely talented and just as deserving as you are. But it is, it is like a truth of like, you can sort of be like a lifer ensemble person and you kind of, you everyone dreams of the big break, you know, mm-hmm. that even just to get like 
a small part, uh, a speak, you know, to, to have a name in a show rather than ensemble. It's just you're always kind of looking for your next move mm-hmm. and always kind of searching for, you know, until you get that Tony. Right. Uh, you're you're hungry. So I, I get that part of it. But also, again, read the room. You know, you're, you're no better than anyone else. But she is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because saying that it makes me think about how so many actors in musical theaters or non-musical, you know, plays, whatnot. But there's, especially like actors in smaller roles, they'll they'll often highlight like, oh yeah, we, we get to do this little moment together. Oh yeah, we get to have this little interaction, and they, you know what I mean? God, I know. And exactly they gather up the crumbs mean. and make a little cake out of it, and go and they put a candle in it. Like, oh yeah, we get to have like a fun little moment towards the end of the Hashtag scene. Hashtag candle. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's just, and we we came up with a whole backstory. It's so funny, you know. Don't don't you dare ah! a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> do you feel clocked? <laughs> I do. I mean, it's just so I've just I don't think I've if I've ever came up with a backstory, I've never said it out loud or yeah. I never broadcasted it. It's like just it's just so stupid. I know. Acting is so stupid in a way and so incredible. It's just like it's when you yeah. really think about it or take it too it's like any sort of art form, the craft. Right, my craft. Oh, my, my craft. Crafts. That's the thing is, like, it's such a, you know, like, I I read these people left, right, and center for these precious things that they do. But, like, in the same token, like, I, I think acting is fascinating. I think, like, it is hard. Like, I think in certain, like, yep. they do things like, I could never, like, the emotions you have to, like, produce, the ways you have to, like, manipulate yourself to create a moment that isn't real, like, that's fucking nuts but at the same time what a weird job and like there is that thing of like you know if you're that good at faking your emotions on stage like why are my red flags going up off stage you know what i mean like sure it's it it almost exposes something about that person that why would they not do it off stage you know what i mean like what would stop them from you know what i mean it's just a Yes, you can't be trusted. I can't it, be trusted. It remi- well, it reminds me of a couple things too. We've talked about the Tony Collette School of Acting, where it's just like, you know, how did you how did you go there when you yeah. were hereditary? She's like, well, and you know, it's just a job. I did it, and I went home, and I you know made a pot roast. And and right. also to that same token, another actress that we love. I've I've seen interviews of like Helena Bonham Carter and um, Olivia Coleman. They're talking about the Crown. And how uh, Helena Bonham Carter did all this research and like listened to tapes of how like her character talked, and Olivia Coleman did nothing, nothing. <laughs> she just walked in and was like, uh, "Okay, I'm ready." Yeah. So it's just do. like, what is the truth? And then you hear like Viola Davis like give this incredible speech about like her craft and like what it means to be an actress. But like, what? It just boggles my mind how people can be so opposite ends of the spectrum, and all four of those women are incredibly talented and successful. Uh huh. With with very different approaches and points of view, and like yes. attitudes about it. Yeah, it's it's so. Um, oh God, it's uh, it is something. But yeah, actors, boy, such a love to hate kind of kind of thing. Absolutely. So. We're back at Frank and Julia's house. Frank comes down with, uh, you know, a little, like, clipboard of adoption papers, what we can only assume, and Julia breaks the news uh, to Frank of dropping a demo for Marilyn. It's only a demo, Frank. It's and just again, a demo. 
Yeah, I mean, but Frank knows this pattern, you know. He's, mm-hmm. he's like, first it's a demo, and then it's a workshop, and then, you know, it's a whole year out of our lives, and you, and you said no work, and she's breaking her promise. Yeah, he know He was in Shrek. He knows how this works. Exactly. No, she's not wearing a scarf in the scene, but when she isn't wearing a scarf, uh, Julia loves a chunky cardigan sweater. Like, yes. not necessarily with sleeves, but everything else is like doubled up. So no scarf, but that's because she has the chunky sweater on. I love it. I mean, with that being said, like, I want Julia's entire wardrobe. I want to just be like that Broadway. Like, oh, it's writer. so cozy. It's like yes. fall all the time with Julia. Oh, I love it. I know. Uh, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that she is, this is where she makes her plea to Frank about how important suddenly she she watches you know some like it hot in bed one night and suddenly she's obsessed and she's talking about interviews that Marilyn has done and um you know and and how oh god and i missed this until the most recent you know rewatch of this where like the way that Marilyn just glowed for our love she she reminds me of a saint a saint <laughs> she reminds me of a saint and and she she said in her last interview please don't make a joke out of me yeah, uh, yeah, and and you know she also probably didn't you know and as much as she didn't say that she also didn't say if you can't handle me at my best you don't deserve me at my worst or, oh, or yes. vice versa she didn't say that either don't tell all the girls I went to in college with but she never said that um, I know that was right? like a that was a major like shock for me when I found that out yeah that fucking Marilyn poster everyone thought they had they yep. needed to have yeah um, yes. but uh, my favorite line is. Julia telling Frank, I don't want anyone to do her. I don't want anyone else to do her. As if there's like a whole line of people. There's already an app that has her flipping her skirt up. She's been done. She's already been done. You you told Ellis that. But now, I don't want anyone else to do her. I hate the theater, says Frank. Yeah, amen. Um, (laughs) So Leo comes downstairs and... Julia's just like, what are you doing home right now? And because Julia's just so engrossed in all this Marilyn research right. that she forgets that there's an important adoption meeting today. Um, and Leo's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> the social worker's coming over. Yeah. And then he, he peels a banana. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. He's eating a banana, wearing a button-down shirt. Yeah. Well, and they're all, like, bickering about Because like, then, like, the, the doorbell rings and the social worker's there. And they're all like, oh, oh dude, everything's fine. Let's just tell, you know, whatever. They're, they're doing that moment. And then Leo, you know, holding the ba- banana. He looks like, you know, Dunstan checks Donkey in over Kong, there. Yeah. yeah, Donkey Kong. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but so, shouldn't somebody open the door? <laughs> Again, I just picture like a precocious little child that this would work. Right. Would, like like a Stephanie Tanner type, you know yes. what I mean? Maybe not too that to that level, but like yeah. This is like that. this is a grown Kimmy Gibbler at best. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh god. So, um uh, yeah, so they open up the door, but also like um they she Julia kind of gets off with like almost like you know it all works out because this woman who plays the adoption agent or whatever you want to call her the social um, worker the so- <laughs> <laughs> that was good he's still back at the island banana smashed yeah. all over his face yeah, <laughs> yeah. the social worker the social worker god oh, mom god. He's like a construction worker in downtown yeah. New York. It, it is, it's fascinating. Well, she's a fan of Julia. So, you know, and I, I love that this is like 
I love the nuance of calling, I just saw your play last week or something like that. And yeah. I love when people, actually, I don't love when people call musicals plays. I correct mm-hmm. Keon all the time. Um, but uh, I, j- I love that that's, that they wrote it that way. That was perfect. Yeah, I think she said, <clears throat> like, she understood that Julia was stressed. I saw your play on Broadway last month. And uh, and the social worker is played by Maddie Corman, who is a big Broadway actress. Yes, she looked very familiar. Um, mm-hmm. She kind of looked like the chick that plays Larry David's wife on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, Cheryl Hines. Oh, my yes. God. Cheryl could, Hines type. Yes. They could be sisters. Oh, my God. Yes. Hmm. So next we are at the piano with Tom and Uh Ivy and Julia bust through the door and Ellis is there also just creeping in the corner and um, Tom, you know, Tom, she walks up to the piano. Is she wearing a scarf in this scene? Yes, scarf too. Most importantly. This is uh, unique scarf number two. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, And Tom says, you know, I wanted it in B flat, a very Maryland key. And I gotta say, I don't, that doesn't, it's it's not that it doesn't make sense, but like, a key is a key. You can, you B flat is a very common key. It's like a lot of the, like E flat or B flat, um, you know, even A flat will go for it. But like, I, I don't understand what that means at the same time, unless all the songs she's ever sung were in B flat. And maybe that's like a fun fact that I just don't know. Yeah. But, I I mean this is where you know uh, I I turn to you because not only are they talking about B flats but you know then we get some like industry lingo talk of like we didn't know how much <laughs> belt you wanted and uh, I was like well she's got enough scarf but uh... <laughs> she's like taking her scarf off as she says oh and Ivy um that part doesn't have to be a full belt it can be a mix it can be a mix it can and then be like a picks mix. up her tea. Oh, that like so I had to like look away. It was like watching someone give themselves a needle. Um, okay, and I had asked you this in our our lost smash episode, but I'm gonna ask it again because there are probably people who want to know because I we've talked in the past like when we've done musical episodes and you've noted like somebody having like a healthy belt or a mix and all of that. I'm like, I what does it all what mean? does it all mean? What's a mix? Yeah, so I, I mean. If you think of a, a female voice as like a head voice being like very soprano-y, sort of high notes, it's all it, it's all up in your head. That's where it resonates. And then chest voice, it resonates in your chest. It's like those like brassy sort of lower notes. And then there's everything in between. So we want that to be. And it's a hard, like when you're in high school, if you're a high school girl, like it's really hard to navigate and find your mix because you basically are blending both of those registers together. And it's it's a process. And I do say, I will say, that this sentence does make sense because um, it's like from the start, I guess, are the words that um, she's singing. And then Julia, a.k.a. Deborah Messing, sings like, from the start. She has this like open wide vibrato, like how she sings on Will and Grace. And it's super cringe. Um, but it's it makes sense because you can use a mix as opposed to like to really create like color and texture in your voice. Like it's it's a combination of head voice and chest voice. And it, you know, that's kind of where it lives. And that's the most like succinct way I can say that. There's there's more nuance to it, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, because I, I know later, because we, we talked about it in the last episode, is there's a yeah. there's a part where Megan Hilty belts at the end of the, of the, um, the baseball song uh, later. And it was like, oh, I can hear like the difference. The difference. And it was, so cool but anyway we'll yeah. get to that in a bit um because first 
We got to meet the Bakers. We got to meet the Bakers. Becky Ann and Dylan Baker. Married in real life. Um, love these two. Yeah. I, you know, I even watching it again, I was like, God, who does Becky Ann Baker remind me of? And it might just be Becky Ann Baker. Uh, but there's just <laughs> something about... Are you, you know who you remind me of? Becky Ann Baker. Oh, you know, that's who you are. And so but there's something about her uh, that just feels familiar. Um, but I can't place it. But I, uh, I love her. Wasn't didn't she show up in in Girls as well? Didn't she play like yeah, the mom? Yeah, she plays Lena Dunham's mom. Yeah, and um, and Dylan Baker, you know, he's he's everywhere. He's in everything. Oh my god! I mean, unfortunately for Dylan Baker, I feel like the role that like has just become cemented in my brain is. Uh, no, I think the movie is called Storytelling, or it's a Todd Solon's movie. And he, okay. I know, not, like I understood virtually none of the words that came out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he plays this like really, it's like a, a a dark movie with like very interconnected stories. And um, I think it's Happiness. The movie's called Happiness. It's Happiness. Yeah, it's Happiness. He yeah, Bill Maplewood. And Bill Maplewood. Yep. And he uh, turns out is a child molester who like drugs his son's Ooh, friend. Yeah. Whoa. So really dark. But you know, one of those roles where you're like, well, unfortunately, that was so indelible. Is like I just. I remember that every time I see you. Yeah, he's been, oh gosh, he's been in Difficult People. He was in an adaptation of Little Women. He's been in Homeland, The Good Fight. He's just one of those guys that's also been everywhere. You know what? Who he reminds me of and who I feel like they could play brothers or would go for the same role, Dylan Baker kind of reminds me of Bill Irwin. Oh, yes. Definitely. Right? Oh my God, stepping out. Stepping out. Oh, stepping out. Oh. Well, anyway, uh, back to the Bakers. Yeah, so uh, it's Dev and uh, Karen's parents, and obviously Karen, and they're all at a very fancy, fancy restaurant, and Karen insists on paying. And, you know, um, Mr. Cartwright says, Karen, we know what kind of money you make. I'm paying for it. Or, and, and something like, uh, she's, we know you're an actress. And then Dev, handsome Dev, says, she's not a waitress. She's an actress. And then and I, he's like and says something like and I think it's very brave that she's following her heart. It's so yes. Ugh, and like squeezes her hand. Ugh. Well, and Karen reminds us, you know, sometimes dreams are hard. You know, sometimes and, dreams are hard. I say it every day. Uh, I yeah, I I might put it on a pillow just so I can you know <laughs> put my head at night against it and remember. You know, sometimes dreams are hard. Uh, but yeah, I mean. Uh, I guess her father does say that he... Uh, oh, no, sorry. I said dad, but it, it must have autocorrected dad from Dev. The Dev thinks that Karen is a star. And uh, Becky... It's funny because my notes autocorrected Becky and Baker. So it's just like Becky <laughs> sure. and Dylan Baker. But Becky and yes. Baker approves. I love that. It, it's... Yeah, and it's it's very sweet. She doesn't have too many lines in the scene, too. It's all about sort of, you know... But they both play great Midwestern parents. I think perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Always happy to see them. Yeah. Yeah, they were... Uh, I assume they'll be back at some point. Yes. Okay. Uh, they will, actually. Yeah. And um, so now we're back t- uh, to Ivy recording. And this is funny. I'm looking at the... Is it called All the Hearts? We don't know. Um, I'm looking at like the the Spotify music of Smash playlist, and I don't see any song that's called All the Heart. I think I just went with it. Um, 
Oh, never give all the heart. There it is. Never give all the hearts. This is the song that she's, the demo that she's singing. Yes, recording, the demo. And um, little do we know that Ellis, that sneaky little scamp in the corner, not really really hiding, to be honest. He's kind of out in the open, records it and posts it. Posts it to Ulens, Ulens, uh, which, you know, which is a little YouTube offshoot. There, it's great. Right, not even Vimeo. Uh, I know. Yeah, it's worth mentioning. This is scarf number three in this scene when Ivy is singing the demo, and oh, uh, and I I just I I swoon for the the cheesiness of and when it comes to me the kisses come free like it's just so <laughs> like oh god <laughs> it's so good i but like i i never would have thought that it's like if i really pick the uh, the, the composers who wrote this um i think are the same composers who did uh hairspray it's like mark shaman uh-huh uh i'm i'm pretty certain of, of that of course, all the songs I'm looking at right now it just says Smash Cast, yeah. um, but as the artist. But I, it's it's good stuff. But yeah, you know they're not. No one's perfect, and that is kind of a cheesy line, but we'll forgive it. Yeah, whatever. Um, like it's the worst thing that's been said this show. I just, I just, there's something. There's something so drag queen Marilyn Monroe about that line. You know? Yeah, I I agree. It's um. It's perfect in its own little way. Yeah. So we are we're back at Frank and Julia's house. She's wearing, I'm assuming, scarf number four. Scarf number four, her bedtime scarf. This is huge. Like this is Nyquil commercial. Huge. It's. I hope she's warm. That's all I can say. I hope she's warm. Yes, I. It's my favorite scarf, to be honest. Oh yeah. It 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 really is like something you could snuggle up in. Um, I, I'm just confirming right now as Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman wrote all but one of the songs for Smash in the first season. So I just wanted to say that out loud for myself. Oh, good. Um, who, yeah, we're also the Hairspray uh, team as well. But, okay, so um, is it Michael Riedel? Michael Riedel picked it up, who is a real person and does make a cameo later in the show. Um, oh, and uh, you know, and she's like, you know, Riedel probably wait till Riedel sees it. He's gonna he's gonna tear to, tear us to shreds. And he's she's pacing back and forth. And um, but she we says, learn, I hate yeah, everyone who writes theater blogs. And it just it, <laughs> it's so like, ooh, let's put this line in here. Let's I know. save it. So this. of the time, yeah. I mean, people still have theater blogs, I guess, like theater critics. Sure. Uh, yeah, like I guess that. so. I don't know. Maybe Michael Musto took that to heart back in Michael the day. Michael Musto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we learn that Riedel picked it up. And Riedel loves Marilyn Colin. And uh, all of a sudden, Julia's ears, her scarf perks up. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It, like, wraps itself around her head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, like, carries her to the bed. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, um, and in fact... The... Yeah, oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. Well, I was going to say, uh, he loves Marilyn. He loves this idea. And to quote Frank reading the blog, he <gasps> thinks it's going to be a smash. And I'm glad they said it. Why not? Say I the mean, name. Yeah. Go say their names, as yeah. Bobby Drag Queen would say. Um, but also it again, Frank is almost a little too excited and supportive here. Like it just, it goes to show how he's, you know, the, all the husbands and boyfriends are great and, and smash, but, um, you know, their significant others are garbage, but he should be, he should also be saying like, I'm happy for you, but let's not, let's keep our eye on the prize here. We're still going to be adopting this baby. Right. Right. We still got that baby because you know. 
uh, Leo is going to be collecting Social Security soon. So yes, really want another <laughs> chance to be a dad again. Oh, yes, ARP card is coming any day in the middle. Yeah. Um, so we go back. To, Karen somehow found the video or, you know, like, you know, through the, what what I sort of made up in my mind, my fan fiction smash uh, writer's brain here is that she saw it on like Playbill.com. Like, uh-huh. you know, like uh, Houston and what's Tom, oh, Houston and Levitt. That's what they, um, their, their newest song leaked on U-Lens and Karen learns it in the matter of hours and she's singing it to her a laptop or something or iPad. Uh-huh. I don't even know. She's sitting, she's sitting in that chair, like a pile of laundry, uh, <laughs> 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 singing along with her laptop. Oh my God. I would, I wouldn't, if I sat like that, it's it's like it's a regular chair and her butt's in the middle of it. It's like she's just like tilted. I don't even know how to describe it, but you're right. A pile of laundry. It would take me years to get up out of that. I'd be oh so stiff. Oh my god. Yeah, it would be like, you know what? Why don't you just carry me to the bath? Draw 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 the water and close the door. Let yeah, me just exactly. sink, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's over, baby. I'm never getting out of yeah, this. I would be like, "Devs, I need stretched out here." Yeah. Yeah, oh bad. Well, now we're talking turkeys. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so we f- next we finally meet the Belle of the Ball, Eileen Rand, played by the incomparable. <laughs> I was like, I forgot her name. I was at Julia Houston. <laughs> yeah, Angela Bassett. <laughs> yeah, um, and Angelica Houston. There we go. Now it didn't occur to me until maybe right now and maybe once before, but her name is Eileen Rand, and there's huh? that author. Ayn Rand, yeah, right? yeah, who wrote the Fountainhead? Yeah, right? and Atlas Shrugged and all of that. It feels too close to not be somehow connected, even though I don't know what one has to do with like producing My Fair Lady. You know what I mean? That's true. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't understand, uh, but I I I like that correlation. Maybe. Yeah. We'll ask, I mean, we'll have to ask Teresa. Well, ask Teresa. I guess we could say that in this in this divorce meeting, Jerry shrugged because he's like, Meh. "Ooh, there it is." Jerry I don't shrugged, care. you know. And and there's Eileen carrying the world on her back, you know. I don't. This is not working. <laughs> like Atlas, Take two. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Atlas Ellis. Ooh. Oh, hey, oh. <laughs> so this this scene is like just textbook divorce proceedings like in an office like a high rise like I feel like they're all seated at the beginning and eventually Eileen stands up and Jerry says you don't have to be so vindictive about it and I almost threw up like it's just like word salad you know what I mean it's just like uh, you know like I'll see you in court and she storms out and but mm-hmm. we do learn everything we find that everything goes into escrow while they're in these like in the midst of all this so she is not able to produce my fair lady and Jerry knows that in some sick way and um so she's kind of just shit out of luck yeah Eileen is and Jerry is played by Michael Christopher, who is yes. also an actor, but also has written a number of plays. Uh, oh, fun. He, yeah. He wrote a play that uh, I took, like, you know, in, in college. There was, like, you could take acting one and acting two, and you didn't have yeah. to be a theater student. So I did, and they were so fun. And in acting, one of the acting classes, we we all got assigned, like, paired scenes. And, and yeah. I was with a... Uh, this girl and I, we did a scene from the shadow box that he wrote and, and it was so much fun and it was so, I mean, it was really dark, but, um, 
but yeah, Just so best things, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was so you know, I got to be slapped in the face. We got to have this little <gasps> moment where I got like slapped. It's just this like little moment we had. We, no, <laughs> we call know. it the slap. Yeah. We call it the slap. We came up with a whole reason, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you did so, it in like the uh, like the mess hall, like the this like at lunch. You're oh like, Let's yeah, practice. yeah. Let's do this here now. You know what, Gorilla Theater. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of the end of that. So the next morning, Ellis is waiting outside of like, I guess like Tom and Julia's workspace because it's not their apartments. So oh, Tom it's and Julia... not. I thought this was Tom's apartment. I mean, that's what I thought too. But why would they be showing up unless they went and got coffee? I guess because it's it seems so. Because the address is because I looked this up. It's two hundred four Riverside Drive. It's always Riverside. Drive, always Riverside yeah. Drive. It's up by like Ninety Sixth Street. Um, yeah, I thought this was, they were going to his apartment, but I didn't think about like even why this was all happening. You know what I mean? Like I, I it, was just, yeah, yeah, it, it could be, yeah. I feel, but like, I guess like the idea is like maybe Tom and Julia went and got coffee in the morning and are coming back and Julia is still like, can't even look at Ellis. And I honestly, like I would be the same way. It's like, you took shit that you were not supposed to like barely even see let alone like post you know what i mean like it's just understood and you're an idiot um this is scarf number five by the way okay perfect perfect it looks chilly this morning yeah she um, needs it scene yeah Yeah. she needs it yeah Uh, so oh go ahead go ahead oh no i mean i think this is this is an iconic ellis moment or as my notes say alice it refused to write ellis and so it's like fine you're alice uh but we do get Ellis's, you know, uh, I guess his, you know, his his character motivation. We get his little backstory of of how much it <clears throat> it would mean to him to work with uh, with Tom and Julia because, of course, in high school I worked props for Three on a Match, which is that was our first show. That was our first show, and he didn't call it Match. So I guess points to that. And, you know, even just being backstage, I felt, I don't know, whole. And then there's this, like, like music that kind of plays underneath. And Tom just totally falls for it. Oh, my God. He, it's just like, Tom, don't be dickmatized by this little Ellis kid. You, you could, no matter how dorky you seem this episode, you could do better. Exactly. But, you know, then we don't have, like... You know, the rise of Ellis, which is just, oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, so, where would we be? So Tom just continues the comment. He's like, well, we have three songs written. And, you know, like they walk into the apartment and Julia like rolls her eyes. Um, and that's that's kind of the end of the scene. So Ellis is back on, he's back on the payroll here. And we are at Eileen's office next. And we are with uh, Tom and Julia. And are there anyone else? Is it just nope. the two of them? Three it's of them? Just, yeah. It's just the three of them. Yep. And she wants in on Marilyn, and she su- suggests Derek Wills to direct. And Tom just is incredulous; he can't he can't even stomach the idea of Derek. So there's a, there's a past there, but we don't know about that quite yet. And yeah, Julia, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, he says that uh, Derek would need a complete personality transplant and a sex change for him to be interested. Which I'm assuming we'll get more details down the line, and we can keep it a surprise. But like. And a sex change? Was that all? Was his gender also an issue? I think it was like a clever way of like being like a Jack McFarlane type. You know what I mean? In uh-huh, race, and it just uh-huh. didn't read as well. Right. Like um, he'd have to be a totally different person completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it doesn't really land. Mm. And uh, that's kind of the end of that scene. 
Um, and Eileen is then having drinks with De- the, you know, the aforementioned Derek Wills. Um, Derek is played by Jack Davenport, which also sounds like a fake director name. Um, and we've seen Jack and other stuff too. I mean, he was, what was the one thing we talked about last week? I'll look him up as I say. Yeah, this I don't remember. I, feel like I don't think I, I feel know. like I... it was some romantic comedy. Oh, he's in Pirates of the Car- uh, Caribbean. Well, you're digging for that. I'll, I'll just add here that they have dinner. Uh, there's, there's talks about, you know, him doing the show and Eileen trying to convince him to do the show and is this when the we then see them walking through the very middle of Times Square that's coming up it's just okay a smidge we're later. not there yes. yet okay because that I, I was like oh, that's a yeah, moment I love all the New York stuff yes um, I found the movie um, it is the wedding date that stars Deborah Messing oh. and, Der- and Dermot Mulroney holy crap holy and I crap think I think the actual like wedding that they're attending is Jack Davenport is marrying someone. And I feel like he plays like some drunk doofus or something like that. So yeah, that was what I had in my head. So this isn't, this is not his uh, first time working with Debbie. Maybe that's how it happened. Debbie's like, Hey, I know somebody. He was wonderful in the wedding date. We had this little moment together. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) By the cake. By the cake. We just like came up with this thing. Oh my God, Jack. Remember that moment of by the cake? I think, Uh, Jack is, uh, you know, uh, we'll go back to uh, Derek as character's name. I think he's one of my favorite characters in Smash. I think he is like, he knows exactly what show he's in. He is like a really good actor. And I think like when he needs to camp it up a little bit, he does. But also like, I, I really enjoy him. And I think like, he's not like the center of the show by any means. But like, he, it's I think it's kind of going back. It's like when I go back and think about like, all the women of Roni. He's like the Luan de Lesseps. It's like, I never mm-hmm. fully appreciated how great he is. And like, but once you really kind of take stock of like his whole arc and how he fits into the story, I love him. I love Derek. Well, I, uh, I can't wait to fall in love with him. You know, yes. uh, I, we shall see. We shall well, you see. Know who's, you know, who's not in love with him is Tom, because we're back in the rehearsal room oh. for, I guess sort of an audition because it, it it's not really mentioned, but Derek is also a director slash choreographer, which just doesn't add up for me. It's just like there are they do exist, mm-hmm. but like a straight director slash choreographer, I just like um, you know maybe Bob Fosse. There's that. Uh, yeah, um, so right. I think it's kind of I think that's sort of the model here. If I'm really thinking about it, mm-hmm. um, and you know, so- he's kind of a chauvinist in a way. But go ahead, yeah. I was going to say, so, uh, sorry, I, I feel like I'm, I was totally cutting no, you're off fine. there. I'm sorry. Jump in, um, jump in. I was just going to mention, so, yes, that we do not see them in Times Square. This, You're right. This scene, after she's convincing him to do the show, cuts to, and I figured it out on this third rewatch, is um, filming at Alvin Ailey uh, in Hell's oh, yes, Kitchen. the studio. The yes. studio. And the only reason I could identify it was because the apartment building next door, you could see outside the, like, red brick and black kind of trimmed building it's like a newer building i was like oh i know exactly where that is so i love that yeah it was just and you know i i think that's such a like in terms of a location to film at like it's so that that dance studio look the floor to ceiling windows and like it's beautiful oh it's just like oh what a what a dreamy place to dance yeah it's fun to be in the rehearsal room i and so the number that they're staging is the national pastime this choreography is so it's so good and so horny and it is 
really kind of crazy at times. Like half the number is just like thrusting. There are a lot of baseball bats being sort of just. <laughs> it's nuts. It's it's nuts. Uh, it's peanuts, hot dogs. Hot dogs. It's literally peanuts Cracker and hot dogs. Jacks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I want to also just mention that there is, uh, in terms of a scarf count, no scarf. Yes, chunky sweater. Okay. Uh, and um, and I think this number, other than the very beginning with with uh, Karen seeing somewhere over the rainbow, this is like the first time they're doing that like dream sequence slash yes. fl- flash forward to what the final production's gonna look like. And I quite like that because really it's like they're looking for potential of what the show could be, and we as you know the audience get to see you know, Ivy Lynn with the full Maryland garb and it's cool. And it's, again, it's like th- this number is so physical. I would be exhausted. And they like throw her from like one group of men to the other group of men. It's it's truly crazy. And this yeah. is where she belts. This is where she belts. So yeah, she, yes. she you know, it towards the end of the song, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's on the last, you know, pastime. She just yes. belts that out. Pastime. It's yeah. so like... Oh, it was, I just was so like, oh, wow, look at you. I can hear you in there, you know? She's got some pipes. Yeah. She can do it all. She can do, like, classical music. I mean, we didn't really go into her, like, into really just Megan Hilty as a whole. Like, she's so great. She was, I, I, I don't know if she was the first replacement for Glinda in Wicked, but she was definitely second or third. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard role. You have to have some chops to do that. I mean, Kristen Chenoweth is, she has, like, a four-octave range, but... Not only did she has she done that, she played Dolly Parton in 9 to 5. She originated the role. She was in Noises Off. And um, I just I just think she's so multi-talented and, like, honestly, like, a cool down-to-earth chick. Like, I think, like, at first, like, I was like, are you, like, a Leah Michelle type? Like, are you just mean? But I see her, like, she's, like, on TikTok. She's a mom. I think she's awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is really the first exposure I've had of, to her at all. But she's... Oh my god. I mean, she's she's uh a so force of nature. Fucking good in this show. It's just yeah. insane. It's oh. Um well, so the, yeah, yeah. Uh we so yeah, so the, so we do the we get this baseball number and and you know, Julia is uh <laughs> she loses qu- it. She loses it and she's quick to let the dancers know, "You guys were delicious." She walks over to Tom who's looking out the window just like, "Yeah, I guess it was good." And, yeah. uh, you know, as much as we know it's good, you know, he doesn't want to work with Derek out of all the directors, blah, blah, blah. And then Tom calls him like a nightmare and like all these other things very loudly so that everyone can hear him. Yeah, he calls him a terrible human being. Um, all that good stuff. All those good things. So this is where we get our Times Square stroll, which, again, it's like these two people. If you're in New York, you know, you know. It's like you're not you you avoid Times Square at all costs. Nobody, I mean, even if you have to for some reason walk through it, you don't like walk through the heart of it. You try to find like a little, you know, maybe cut down Forty Third Street for a block or something. Like it's so yes, it's so aggressively walking in the middle of Times Square. Yeah, it's like a woman of Eileen Rand's stature would not be caught dead in Times Square. She'd be in a car riding through it, like a limo. 
Yeah, like I'm surprised they didn't just do this scene in a limo. Uh, because I mean, also imagine like how difficult it was to like film this scene in the middle of Times Square. You know? Yeah, everyone. You could see people like kind of gawking in the distance a little mm-hmm. bit too. It's like it's it's very hard. Yeah, that's Eileen Rand. She was gonna <laughs> produce My Fair Lady. <laughs> Not anymore. I Not even escrow. Yeah, it's like escrow, you and me on the sidelines. Escrow, escrow. Yeah. Read all about it. <laughs> It's one of the things. Cracker Jacks. Escrow. Escrow. <laughs> and, and Eileen's like, I added that. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is where we get this whole, like, sort of the line, gay men piss me off, says Derek. Oh, God. And and I feel like the, the line, like Eileen's response of, that's an unfortunate take in the American theater. It's such like a... It's <laughs> a good Eileen. That's a good Eileen. <laughs> Thank you. We'll polish that yes, one. Yes, there um, we go. But it's so like, it's such like, the joke of, oh, there's a lot of gay men in theater is so exhausting at this. Like, it's so done. Like, I don't know. I I just felt like it's like, oh, my God, are there a lot of gay guys in theater? Oh, my God, that's crazy. You know? Yeah, maybe even though I still don't really like like another response would be like, well, it's a good thing you're in theater, you know, right on the back or something like that, even though that's not better. It's just like a. I don't know. It's more it's more knowing than this kind of like, oh, well, that's an unfortunate take. And like it's like that's not a fr- that's not a hot take, Eileen. Yeah, you humans know? don't talk like that. Like right. as much as Colleen or Colleen, as much as Eileen <laughs> I'll take it. Of... <laughs> <laughs> that's your that's your version of uh Eileen. Colin Colleen. and Eileen. Colleen. <laughs> okay. That's uh, I, that's Eileen's like <laughs> evil evil twin. Yeah, Colleen. Uh, Colleen. Yeah, Colleen is born. <laughs> um, oh. So next, Karen is in the audition hallway, and this is like the actual day of the like the Maryland auditions, and she sits next to Anna Lee Ashford, oh. and we get to see her audition, which is great. She's in a pink dress. I thought she did quite well. I thought she was so good. I was so disappointed to discover that this is the only appearance she has in this show. Mm-hmm. I think as as wildly underused as Brian Darcy James Stokes Mitchell may be on this show, the decision to not write in a Lisa subplot is the biggest mistake they they made. She, she I ugh, in this one scene it was like this Beatrice Strait effect. I was I was obsessed. I thought she was so funny in this scene. And like Yeah, the song. It's yeah. so good. And She's she like, had all these... I wanna be loved by you. It's yeah. so good. And you could see the kind of like look in her eye of like, oh, I don't know if I did okay. Like it was just <laughs> yeah. so good. Uh, it's it is good. And I, she it's such like you've seen this girl in the audition room before yep. and who actually like has some talent. I mean, I thought she was great. I did, too. Yeah, uh, she just needs the uh, the confidence there. But speaking of confidence, Karen walks right in with her coat on, of course, <laughs> and sings. Are you ready for this? Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess given that they couldn't get Scarlett Johansson and or Kate Winslet <laughs> or Kate Winslet and, you know, well, what about Kristen Chenoweth? Well, what I about just Sutton Foster. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, I oh, discovered right. her. That's not her part. Uh, <laughs> they so they okay. So we can't get Scarlet. We can't get Scarjo. We can't get Christian. Kristen Chenoweth. Ivy's barfing. So in comes Karen. It's like, well, the fourth option is Karen Cartwright singing Christina Aguilera. It's just 
wild to me because like I'm sure there was an audition breakdown but even with an audition breakdown even if it said like pick 16 bars of your whole first of all she sings like the entire damn song which makes me crazy Mm. but it's a TV show whatever but like any dumb dumb off the street like okay Marilyn Monroe I'm thinking like you know anything but this it's just not a match it's not a match yeah it's and and she I mentioned this on the last episode, but then I realized this also looks like something else. When she's singing, she starts to like put her hands in the air like she's like a baby in a crib reaching for the little mobile. Yes. But if you want to like praise hands, little almost. praise hands with like little like, oh, what are they reaching for? Her this fingers song? are curled. Yes yes, yes. yes. It also is reminiscent of, if you remember, my absolute least favorite movie poster in the world, Magic in the Moonlight. Oh my gosh, the Emma Stone. The Emma Stone one. Yes. With that wildly photoshopped Colin Firth oh, next to her. Oh god, it's so bad. It's the it is the worst movie poster in the history of movie posters. Yep. I will not be corrected. I, and she is doing They spent like $10 on that photoshop yeah. job. Yeah. Oh my god, it's Microsoft Paint at best. It's like a free <laughs> trial of Microsoft Paint. And <sighs> and and Karen is doing Magic in the Moonlight hands. Yes. Yeah, we came up with that term. It it so is. And like, again, it's like I'm not I I don't think Catherine McPhee has a great voice, but she is a pop singer like she even the way that there is no like emotional connection to this song. Like she has her eyes closed. She's giving us baby hands and like and everyone's nodding approvingly. And we see the audition room fade away and we find that she's singing to Dev. Mm. And I I get that. Like they're they're like it's like um it's like they're telling us instead of showing us. You know what I mean? Like that right. she's good. And it's it's just, I'm not buying it, Gia. I'm Sorry. not buying it. And I don't care that she beveled her knee. I don't know if you noticed, but she beveled her knee. Little bevel. Sensible little bevel. bevel there, yes. I, I, will, I will never not think of that word and not think of you sending a picture of your cousin to us in the group chat yes. and mentioning the beveled knee. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I mean... It's a popular popular dance term there, or at least like a popular like every girl poses like that in pictures. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, bevel, bevel it. Bevel, just a slight bevel. Just a slight it's bevel. So tiny. Yeah, um, exactly. Ellis, I mentioned this in the other the last episode, is wearing that pink and gray plaid shirt that every gay man wore and Jesus. still might have. Keon had one. You have one. Uh, but it's two a great or three, maybe. Shirt. Yeah, it's a great shirt. It's like this like faded pink, almost red plaid shirt and uh it's like i just had to mention that like a gingham even or like like it's like the the boxy kind of i don't know what it is maybe that is is that called is that considered gingham when it's just the little boxes i don't know the difference yeah it's like i gosh i don't know i feel like yeah they're all american eagle button downs to me you know yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Um. And at the end of this audition, Derek smiles. He's he's thinking, you know, maybe this is the one. Yeah. So me. Yeah. So Dev and Karen are at their apartment. We find out she gets a call back. Um. And then Dev immediately springs into action. He says, "Well, we have to pick out something for you to wear." Yeah. <laughs> it goes go from to boyfriend to gay friend in like yes. two seconds flat and. And it's like at first I thought, oh, maybe he's excited to like put her in sexy lingerie, but like, no, you're playing dress up with your girlfriend, and like, I'm gay. I know what's going on here, you know. 
Yeah, it's like I almost wish Karen had a gay friend that like Dev, although being very supportive from a distance, is just like sitting in the living room with a beer with his tie loose and watching the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. Like you can't be this supportive, Dev. Like, you, yes, it's not fair, you know? Yeah, he's he's doing double duty here, but yeah. it doesn't really add up. But like, you know, eventually Karen meets some gays in the ensemble and, and sh- you know, they do a whole like... <laughs> They do a whole thing. It's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. It's so good. Okay. So, um, and then also we get a, it cuts to Ivy calling her mom. And we said this last week too, but like, it is just the perfect New York kitchen. It is just like, you know, the tiny oven, like there. Those cabinets. Yes. Yep. It is. I will, I will give the show credit. It might be the most accurate New York kitchen I have yes. seen in terms of like someone at her point in her career and the kind of apartment she would live in. That is the exact kitchen she would have. So I was very impressed with that detail. Yes, I agree. We jump back and she pours herself a glass of wine. I, this is, you know, she's talking to her mom and like her mom's not excited as yeah. excited as we want her to be, who we learn later is played by Bernadette Peters. Um, oh, of course. Yes. Of course. And, uh, you know, there's talk of like someone in the family, what was it, is going to night school or yeah, something? Yeah, Jerry's in night school. It's like, <laughs> Jerry's oh, in night school. This will probably be important later, you know? Yeah. Uh, just a little bit there. and uh, But it tells us enough, which I, mm-hmm. I do appreciate. And we jump back to Dev and Karen. Dev is apparently, like everyone, just fluent in Marilyn Monroe movies. Uh, they're watching some like at Hot. And Karen, you know, she, her acting is just too good in the scene because they end up, you know, making out. Yeah. Eventually they, banging. They bang. They bang. <laughs> they can't, bang. They bang because that's, you know, I don't know how long they've been together, but I was like, this is like dating for six months sex. Like this isn't yes. been together for years sex. What are you doing? <laughs> like, no, like it just, I don't know. Sometimes I see things and I'm like, <clears throat> at a certain point, don't you just like, no one makes out anymore. <laughs> Who makes <laughs> out? Yeah, true. I see what you're saying. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one makes out after six months. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Uh. <laughs> So Karen, in I think this is like post-coital here. Kevin, yep. uh, Ke- Kevin, uh, <laughs> I <wish>. Karen, <laughs> Kevin, and Dev. <laughs> um, Karen gets a text from Derek, who has invited Karen to his flat, and um, and really like we talked about it last week too. It's like this is a strange request, even and like Dev does not. You know, he kind of misses the mark a little bit. Like, maybe I should go with you or wait downstairs or whatever it is. And But, like, he's a big Broadway director, and I, it's it, it sort of makes sense and doesn't. But he's also, you know what his intentions are. Well, right. And it's so, I, I think the whole scenario where, like, because we find out when Karen gets to Derek's apartment, oh, you know, you know the, I guess answering for the, the way she's dressed. Well, I just got the text 20 minutes earlier. And so, like, Karen has gone... Probably hasn't taken a shower. Probably, maybe Dev didn't come with her completely, but she definitely brought a little bit of Dev with her to Derek's apartment. <laughs> wink, wink. Wink, yeah. wink. So Derek, Dev was there in spirit, but uh, th- then there's that. Then there's like the whole situation of like, okay, well, you're definitely like going to, like, there's so many boundaries that aren't he present right now. You know what I mean? Yes. 
It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Derek pours Karen a drink. It's like bourbon on the rocks or something. And he, he kind of like scolds Karen. He's like, Marilyn would never show up wearing that, what you're wearing right now. And you're like, what do you want? But uh, honestly, I think she looks great. She has this like off the shoulder sweatshirt moment. She still looks hot. Like you would fuck her, Derek. So shut up. Yeah. Well, and doesn't he say that like Karen should stop drinking so much wine so she could catch up with Marilyn Monroe and like where she is in her career? I think he says, oh, by by 23, she had already done. He says the asphalt jungle. It's the asphalt jungle. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. You ever heard of speech class? Uh, I took it in <laughs> kindergarten. Class. I'm not too good for it. Um, couldn't get my L's and my R's right. I kept saying la, la, instead of la, la. So, oh, true story. Colin. Colin. Um, but, you know, I do have to just say, while we're at Derek's apartment, speaking of lack of boundaries, I need to talk about the staircase. <gasps> The staircase. You've heard the of the staircase. staircase with Tony Collette, and now yeah. it's <laughs> Derek I know. Wills. Yeah. Derek Wills loves to fuck, never been fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but he's excited to try. He's excited to try. Um, <laughs> Derek's Carol Radzwell staircase is significant and meaningful, and I feel like it is such a a set design thing to give someone a staircase without railings. It's such a like choice. Oh God, I would just slide down on my butt the whole time. Yeah. Get, it's, it, it's like there is a wall halfway up on either side, but once yep. you get like maybe even a third of the way up, I don't know. But, and then the rest of it is just stairs in the middle of the room. It's an amazing apartment, but you need a, you need some rails there. Yeah. It, I mean, and I don't even think there was any treads on the steps. They were just smooth wood. This guy's going to snap his coccyx before October. I, I know. I, I, I'm thinking of uh, the First Wives Club. You know, those like handles when uh-huh. they sneak into the uh-huh. apartment. Like at least, at the very least, get that. At least you have something to hold on to. Yeah, those wiggly handles. Yeah. Yes. Okay, oh. so, uh, you know, Derek says something like, darling, I need to see everything you've got. And, like, and, and Karen is just, she knows, you know, she catches on pretty quickly. So she... It almost looks like she's going to leave, and then she slinks into the bathroom. And honestly, I I think this is her best work in the entire series as far as acting. Mm. Like, her, like with her face pressed up against, not pressed up, but, like, very close to the mirror. Sort of like this make-it-or-break-it moment. It's like she is obviously upset and realizes she's kind of in a dangerous predicament in a way, but she knows the... She knows what she has to do, I guess. So she takes Derek's, uh, you know, dress shirt and really, like, takes off her pants, I guess, really. She's just kind of slinking towards him, and she sings, you know, Happy Birthday a la Marilyn Monroe. And um, right before, and then, like, kind of mounts him in a way, I guess. And then she, like, right as she's about to kiss him, she just sort of, like, falls off and says, I think I got it wrong last week, too, but what was the quote? Not a chance? Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen, yes. But very... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, they set it up as like, you know, gotcha, not going to happen. You know, yeah, yeah, horny toad. But like, I think it was just that Dev was Dev was coming back out and she's like, oh, I got to go. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ooh, uh, ooh, I got to tighten my knees. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> and I, tighten ooh. my knees. <laughs> and I, ooh. <laughs> it is. I think it's just perfect enough because it gives it gives Derek wanting more, obviously. And it's, uh, you know, everyone's happy. She doesn't have to do anything, but it's still, like, humiliating. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Derek is gross. Um, 
And so here we are the next morning. Callbacks. Callbacks. I... And we get, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, we get scarf number six. The quick glance. Oh, yeah, this is scarf number six. I think it's the last scarf of the episode, but yeah, scarf number six. And everyone is like running late. This That's the whole theme of this song is everyone's like, Tom slept in. Julia is walking very, she's like speed walking down like a, a, a hall made of solid gold. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't right. Know where she is. And um, we we hear the song "Let Me Be Your Star," which is just like a classic. I'm ready and fully prepared to do either part at any time with anyone. Um, I just think it's it's so gay and so perfect, and 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 really a, a beautiful, like exciting song. It's you know I. By the third watch, I definitely, like, got the vibe of it. Because at first, like, what stood out to me was, like, oh, this is the first time there was a yes. musical number that wasn't a number from the show mm -hmm. uh, and wasn't, like, Karen's audition from the beginning. Like, this was, you know, Karen is, like, putting on her fake Marilyn Monroe mole. And, like, kind of – it's so weird. She's singing mole. but still, like, kind of does this, like, huh? kind of gesture to dev while she puts the mole on so it's like she's doing dialogue while singing did you notice this no oh it's the weirdest moment it's so strange and it's like in the bedroom while she's getting ready and then yeah she's you know she's leaving the, the, the her, you know her apartment and then ivy's leaving and then I need to put this on a tote bag, probably a tank top, but the shot of Ivy Lynn in her headphones and her Maryland dress singing out the back window of a taxi is the highest camp I've seen all week. Oh, the pink headphones. It is just, she looks incredible. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And I see your cab moment and also raise you like her holding her clutch and just like kind of doing like a little squat, hailing a cab. She just, mm -hmm. you know, there's the grate from the subway blowing up her skirt. It's just it's art. Uh, it's just all of the like, oh, we, we got to get it. We got to get to the to the to the, the callback, the, the, the singing, which is really I mean, the way this is set up is like a Drag Race episode, and this is the lip sync for your life moment yes. between Karen and Ivy. If this ever was a lip sync on Drag oh. Race, I think I would pass out. You wouldn't be able to resuscitate me. I would be so excited. Yeah. I mean, it really, like, there, I mean, I'll say, like, as much as I can poo-poo musical theater, for lip syncs on Drag Race, musical theater is, like, there, the, the, gold that there is in musical theater for a for a lip sync on drag race yeah i mean why not any song from a uh, bombshell what eventually becomes the Maryland uh -huh. musical would be so fun but specifically this if like if they had a specific part like if one well i guess they would all just lip sync they both would lip sync both parts but uh, it, it is just and, and karen has like a dress with cherries on it and it's like it's like it's the modern day Marilyn. you know what i mean it's like mm -hmm. it's it reminds me of like every drag race finale when they're like well you know like chad michaels you know like he, he's a veteran he's been in it for a while but sharon is the future of drag uh -huh, you know what i mean one uh -huh. of those moments well, you know, it's interesting watching this this final moment of of you know of them singing, you know, cutting back from Megan Hilty to to um, Catherine McPhee, and you know, I'm watching it like a lip sync for your life, like oh my god, who would win this? And it's obviously like I I sort of know what happens, you know, and we won't we can save it for next week, but like Ivy is like wringing out the rag. 
yeah. and care like like facially all of that like she's really putting a shit ton of emotion into this and i'm i love it and then karen is putting no emotion into it and is so just like you know let me be your star i don't know i mean let me i wear a cherry dress it says cherries on it let me be your star that's and, a good karen too yeah yeah let me be your star and uh why can't i just be fat and i what it made me think was, and I don't know if this comes up in the show, but like, uh, there was a sense that like Karen's lack of emotion almost fit Marilyn Monroe's kind of like steady demeanor in terms of her public demeanor versus like we we don't really see Marilyn Monroe get as emotional as as Ivy Lynn is getting in that song, and like yes, I'll I'll be curious if that is just me watching people acting, but that's not part of the story. Um, or if that's why they go the direction they go, because it's like technically Ivy's killing this, but maybe I get why they would go with Karen. Yep, I think they they do kind of go into that a little bit, not enough, but like I I think that's very that's a keen observation there, Colin, because I do think that there are bits of you know the sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed newcomer that really do fit the mold of what they're looking for. But with that being said, she has to be able to like play both sides of that too um so mm-hmm. i i'm excited because even i it's like a little foggy of how that plays out but yeah it's definitely addressed because you know the whole series or like first season is like who's gonna play Marilyn? it's right like, right you know and like both of them bring something different to the table but it is very clear that megan hilty is a powerhouse and looks like her and is like curvy and perfect so and then I mean, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and then you're, you know, this Wegman's cashier in a Cherry's dress. Uh, <laughs> you know, I love no, no shame. I was a Wegman's cashier for years, but you know, I shouldn't be Marilyn. Uh, I, uh, I do love the end of this episode, the way that it feels like the end of Act One of a musical. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a great way to end a pilot. I mm-hmm. think that I remember when this watching the pilot, I was like, I like flew out of my seat. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, there are some weird moments, but I am in. <laughs> and I mean, they fully like the cliffhanger for episode two. They 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 get you, and it's a, I love that last shot of just Karen's head back. Um, it was just it yes. was you know uh, I was like, all right, smash. I yes. guess I'll keep watching. Oh my gosh! Well, last week we did this, and I don't know what we'll call this. Maybe we'll call it like our top smash of the week. Mm, um, it's yeah. just like our favorite, or maybe I mean maybe appropriately enough, like our BSA of the episode. I think we'll 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 workshop it here. Yeah. Um, but if you had to, who is your? What is like? Is it a moment? Is it a thing? What is your BSA of this episode, Colin? Well, I think similar to that uh, after show that would like play clips of Brian Darcy James singing just so there could be some, you know, appreciation, some roses thrown his way for his underutilized talents. I need to do my own part here and give it to Annalie Ashford because I I think it's such a missed opportunity not having her as a a full-time cast member on the show. I think she's so funny. I think like she, it was classic BSA. She left me wanting so much more and uh, I think she's a hoot. So, um, Giving it to little Lisa, little Lisa played by Annalie Ashford. I love that, and not you know at the time was not, but now she is a Tony winner. So jokes right. on you, Karen Cartwright. Yeah, <laughs> who needs bombshell? She was in 
that play where she played a dog. Where did, what did she win a Tony for? I I know. I knew you were going to ask, and I, I, know. I feel like I should know this. I'll pause and just kind of look it up here. It was for You Can't Take It With You in uh, in 2015, or at least that's when the play was released. Um, and oh. she won Best Featured Actress in a play, oddly enough. Even though she's a great musical theater actress, she was. I feel like she was in the original cast of Legally Blonde. Um, as mm, one of those, that would gals. make sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And she's she's had a great career, and she was on Mom. No, that's Anna Ferris. They are the it's same. Though. Another pair of that, sisters. They could play sisters. She was in that American scandal, the one about Bill Clinton. Oh, she yeah. played Paula Jones. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she was great in that. Yeah. Um, my top smash or BSA of this episode would I think I'm going to give it to Dev. Dev being the supportive yeah. boyfriend, really kind of every musical theater girl's like dream of a husband, you know, like, uh, or like future husband that, you know, Mm -hmm. he's taking care of Karen and he believes in her dreams and doesn't like get on her. He's not, you know, like Mr. Cartwright. And he stood up to Mr. Cartwright, which I love in a very respectful way. And he's so hot. He's so hot. Oh, and he's so supportive. He's so beautiful. Yeah. God bless Dev. And if anything happens to him, if she does him wrong, and I have a feeling she will, but don't tell me, <laughs> uh, it's going to be curtains for Cartwright. Let me tell you what. <laughs> curtains for Cartwright, yes. Yeah. Oh, well, we shall see. I am so excited. I like. I want to go watch the second episode now and just see oh, what's ahead. Oh, I can't ahead. wait. Ugh, it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, now that I've seen the first episode 17 times and talked <laughs> yeah. about it twice, I am ready to move on to the second episode. But like, Amen. I think this was worth recording again. I think we got a lot even more out of it this time. Absolutely. Well, folks, if you want to continue joining us for these conversations, uh, you can just join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bsapod. Um and again, we'll probably put some previews out for a few weeks in the main feed just to kind of like remind you what's going on. But uh, yeah, uh, all this nonsense is going to be Patreon only. And we'd love to have you join us. Yeah. Buy, I'm like trying to think of some theater pun. I'm like, buy a ticket or we'll see. You. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see you at the Schubert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you. You know, rush tickets are available. Yeah, it's truly yeah. going to be heaven on earth. There we go. Oh, there it, there is. it is. There it is. Um, well, in case anybody forgets, you know, we might be getting played off in some capacity. We might just be having a little, you know, uh, smash instrumental going on here. Yes. Um, we don't get played off on these episodes because we put our back into it. But that being said, in case anyone forgets, where could folks find more of you? Uh, they can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick Kachanov. How about you, Colin? Well, you could find me on All Right Mary, talking about drag race. You could find me on In the Details, a celebration of nuance, talking about acting choices and micro moments. And, you know, uh, I don't know if Smash would ever make it onto that podcast, but who knows? Uh, And you can find me on Instagram at ColinDrucker underscore, or you could find both of us in a best supporting capacity on Instagram at BSAPod. Or you can send us an email at TheBSAPod at gmail.com. Well, your peepers are already peeled, so why don't you, you know, pull the peel down o- over them, let it get comfy again. Just like and, Leo, uh, yeah. Just like Leo. I gotta pull my peepers down. <laughs> I can't sleep, Mom. My crib's too small. <laughs> oh, my God, he is the baby, yeah. He's the baby, yeah. Uh, but we'll get into that. Um we will be back next week. Obviously, on the main feed, we will be continuing our discussion of the early days of Greys, and uh, we will be continuing the Smash discussion on Patreon. So we hope to see you there. 
Have a great day, everyone. Goodbye.